And, and I did pursue my passion of politics in my undergrad and even going on to my graduate degree, but trying to find a, a career with it was really my intention. And, and I think when we make conversations, especially about careers, whether it's leveling up in your career or starting your own business. Yeah. And so when we have these conversations in our companies, on our teams, in our own personal lives around purpose, we start to recognize that what we uniquely have to offer, the skills that we've developed through education and experience, the, the perspective that we have, the role that we tend to play, the things that we do without even really noticing, the types of problems that we like solving, all of these things when combined in the right order, which we talk about in the book, really yeah. help give clarity about what it is that you should do next. Monday, Monday. Happy Monday, guys. I hope you enjoyed your weekend. I hope you're looking forward to this week. Um, I hope that you guys are staying up to date with all things The Thinking Project. You can do that by joining my newsletter on DaltonKJensen.com and by following me on Twitter at DaltonKJensen. Uh, and that is also where you can pre-order the new sales book. Uh, you can leave it a review if that's what you want to do. And uh, if you're a freelancer or a small business owner or a sales guy or woman and you want to up your game in sales, this is exactly the book you'll need to do that. So go check it out. The link will be in the description below. And without further ado, let me introduce Gabrielle Boucher, who is the co-author of The Purpose Factor and the co-founder of The Purpose Company. So this is a great interview because if you've ever felt like uh, when people say, pursue your passion or passion over everything, and you've kind of cringed or you never really bought into that, there's a reason why. And you will find that all out in this interview. It was an amazing conversation with Gabrielle. And uh, I hope you guys really enjoy it. I hope you share it with your friends if you got any value out of this. And with all that said, please welcome Gabrielle Boucher. Welcome, everybody. This is Don Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. Yeah, do you, we're rolling, by the way, do you still, um, do you still any do anything uh, with the Millennial Solution? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, so we're functionally really running two different companies. And so we're still working with a lot of our clients on generational leadership. So working with uh, the Navy and the Air Force and a number of our corporate clients on how do you engage the next <laughs> generation. And I think a big part of it with like the great resignation with all of these young people deciding why would I work for a boss when I can work for myself or why yeah. would I work in an office when I can, you know, work from the beach is causing a lot of people to question how to engage with a new generation of employees. So yeah, we spent a lot of our time still working with companies on, on generational leadership. Yeah, that's great. Um, that was actually one of the, uh, you know, I, I'd uh, read that and I'd, I'd heard that you had done that, you know, had worked with like some of the military on engaging millennials. That kind of sounds like, I mean, I'm glad that they're doing it. But when I first heard that, I'm like, that kind of sounds like something they wouldn't do. So how did that whole, you know, consulting the military on generational leadership, especially like how to deal with millennials? Because you think of millennial like I'm, I'm a millennial. And you hear all the stereotypes and then you put that, put those stereotypes into the military and it almost seems like the military would just not care about that. And they yeah. just kind of blow through it uh, with their own agenda. Yeah. I mean, the majority of folks who are in the military, especially enlisted and kind of first officers, those are all folks that are, that are millennials and younger. So I think the question really started, you know, years ago. I mean, my first client was the Navy was how do we engage with this new generation of soldiers and cadets coming in who are just totally different? They see the world differently. They want promotions differently. They have different mental health needs even. I mean, the conversations that we've been able to have with leaders in the military around even just the role of mental health, for example, has been absolutely fascinating. The role of leadership. I mean, it's um, re-enlisting. I mean, they're they're having just as much of a challenge of engaging the next generation as major companies and small boutique yeah. firms. So it's, it, you know, their, their outfits may be different, but I think the challenges are still very much the same. Well, I think that's really cool that they're, that they're very open to kind of battling that in just a different way. You know what I mean? 
and and like talking and bringing on like a, a company and consulting company like yours to like deal with um the the new millennial like military generation you know what yep. I mean? I yeah, just thought, that's exactly right. I was like, oh, that that would just be a really that would be it'd be fun to be like a fly on the wall in that room, especially if you get like some old kind of like some old school general or something like that, or or you know just some old school leader who's like, we're not doing this. Um, and to kind of have you had an experience like that? Have you had to like? Has it been an uphill battle or? <laughs> yeah, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say uphill, but we have definitely had some generational perspective opportunities where you come in and you're like, clearly they see the world differently. So I remember I went in and I was meeting with um, one base commander and we were talking about the next generation. And I was talking about how this next generation really wants to be fulfilled. And without thinking, he just said, you know, fulfilled, but why don't they just go fulfill my coffee? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. You, um, certainly believe that like you said that out loud that wasn't even like a thing for him so it was really there have been many moments like that that the old guard of leadership of that's the way we've always done it you know sit and wait to be promoted or seen or or compensated differently um that's changed so much just because of certainly i think millennials have played a big role i think our expectations around our jobs is certainly different as well um yeah. but i think just overall um, society in general is requiring something different from employers. And so I'm excited to have been part of a conversation early on, bringing in our experience with millennials. And now yeah. our experience with purpose has really created a very powerful conversation around why people matter, how to engage with people more and how to do work that really is making a difference in the world. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate that because it's been fascinating, like watching, you know, I, I started following you. I heard the TEDx talk. I think it was, was that 2016 you gave that or 2017? It was a long time ago. I feel like. It was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> but I feel, but I feel like that's when I started and I was like, this is really cool. There's a lot of things uh, that we need to, you know, a lot of cool conversations that we can have around this, especially since. Uh, it's going to be such a big deal in, in the next little bit. And I yeah. wanted to get, you know, I, and I've, cause I've heard your story a few times, but there's a few people who haven't, uh, especially if they're listening to this show that they, they might not have heard of like what you do and your story. So the millennial solution was like one of your first consulting companies. How did you, I mean, and you talk about all the time quitting your corporate job. So for you, take us all the way back, like, you know, um, and to just tell us how it all started, like what made you want to get into consulting? What made you want to start these companies and, and really give this a go? Yeah, well, I didn't. I didn't want to get into consulting. I started my business in D.C. where everyone who is unemployed calls himself a consultant. Oh. So I really did not want to pursue that track. In fact, I didn't even want to become an entrepreneur. My parents okay. are entrepreneurs. So for me, that translated as in not taking vacations, nights and weekends, having to worry about payroll. It, it was not fun growing up the, the kiddo of a, of a family who owned a construction and roofing company. So I knew what entrepreneurship was and I wanted nothing of it. So when I finished college, I did the opposite of becoming an entrepreneur, which was go and work for the government. <laughs> I was like, what is the most secure, safe job I could have? And I went and I worked for the government. So I did that for a couple of years and um, like every good millennial, I was doing it to change the world. And after a few years, I realized I was more of a problem than the solution. And then my boss decided to not run for election again, which in political speak meant I was unemployed. Oh, so dang. I was early 20s and I was having that quarter life crisis that many of us talk about of what am I doing? Is this what I want to do the rest of my life? Work isn't as fun as, as it looked like, you know, on TV. And I was asking some of those kind of fundamental existential questions. And like every good millennial, I went to Europe and spent time <laughs> camping around Europe, trying to find myself. And, um, and I came back and I had kind of this moment of, did I want to stay in the job I was in or did I want to change completely? Yeah. And a lot of us are given these kind of moments in our lives where we get to choose to stay the path that's in front of us or to take a left or a right. 
And for me, I saw that as that moment was, yeah, of course I could jump back in, work for another politician, kind of continue going down this career path that I thought I wanted. Or I could take door number two, which was a little scary because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what was on the other side of it. And I didn't know how I could make money at it, but I knew I had to do something else. So I ended up in Virginia working for a startup that didn't start. I then found this nonprofit organization that I basically just pitched myself to and said, hey, are you hiring? And they said, yeah, sure. And I said, great, what do you need me to do? And they said, you'd be great at development. And I didn't know development meant fundraising. So <laughs> I was early, I was maybe 23 at the time. And this director of development in charge of raising a few million dollars and horrible. I was just the worst fundraiser ever. So um, I found myself in this position yet again. I thought if I changed locations, I'd find clarity that didn't work. I thought if I changed jobs, that would work. I thought if I worked for a nonprofit, like I'm helping, you know, right. promote these amazing principles. And that also too, wasn't it either. So for me, my big moment was I was at a conference, someone speaking on stage, and I just knew inside of me, I'd always wanted to speak. I'd always wanted to write. I knew that there was something inside of me that I was made for more and I wanted to give back. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to articulate it, let alone how to get paid for it. But I knew mm. that it wasn't what I was doing then. I'm extremely competitive. Someone dared me to write a book. I said, fine, I'll have it done in six months. I did. And that kind of started my journey of developing my expertise because I was willing to step away from my nine to five. It was actually more like a nine to nine because I had to work <laughs> as a hostess at night because I wasn't making enough money as a, at the nonprofit. Um, but to take time for myself, to really focus on what did I uniquely want to give to the world? What did I want to become an expert in? And how did I uniquely want to help people? And uh, a few months later, the book was out. Um, I became a best-selling author. And a few months after that, I started getting paid to speak. A few months after that, I had launched my own business. And a few years after that, here we are. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And it's an incredible story. What what made you pick millennials? <clears throat> what made you go that, that niche? I mean, obviously you are one, but <laughs> yeah. right. But like, my question really is, out of out of the millions and millions of millennials, no one's really taken the charge to like teach other people how to like deal with the the new generation. What yeah. made you want to take take the reins? Yeah, the the big thing for anyone, if you're in a situation where you're saying, "I know I can contribute something, I want to give back, but I don't know where to start," mm -hmm. it's to focus on the things that frustrate you. If you use frustration as your guide, it really helps you bring a lot more clarity. Yeah. So I was frustrated that my generation was seen as entitled, lazy, uh, horrible to deal with, and really not worth the time to invest in. I was usually the person in conversations trying to bridge that gap, trying to explain who millennials were, let alone what was wrong with us. And so I started to recognize a theme. I stopped and reflected on what brings me joy? And for me, it was bringing people together who didn't understand each other, who wanted to create great relationships, business relationships, mentoring relationships, you name it. That brought me a lot of joy. Also too focused on my frustration. I was annoyed and frustrated and frankly, a little defensive that millennials had been given such a bad rap. And then finally, I really looked at what could I do to contribute? It's not enough to have an opinion. You need to have insight. And insight is really focused on expertise. So I call myself an expert, not for myself. Like I don't like need the ego boost or put it on my <laughs> business card or something. Um, we call ourselves experts for other people. Yeah. So an expert is someone who really just knows more than anyone else in that room. So you may say, well, I'm not an expert in, you know, in such and such, because there are people who know far more than I do. Of course there are. There are always going to be people who know more than you, but you develop yeah. an expertise two ways. Number one, from experience, you've done it, you've seen it, you've lived it. And number two, through empirical research. So really that means education. I've studied it. Here are the things that make sense. Here's the theme that I've recognized everyone else is talking about. Mm -hmm. And the best experts are both. They have the experience and they've done the research. If you don't have the experience yet, if you're new to an industry or you're new to your career, start with an empirical approach. That's what I did. I didn't have any experience managing millennials, let alone teaching on managing millennials. But I wrote a book that basically looked at what everybody else was saying and tried to say it better. 
once I'd established myself as an expert, I then could take those next steps because people actually cared what I thought. It wasn't just my opinion. It was insight. And from there, I was able to start a firm company and hopefully a movement. Yeah. And I think you really did. Um, I like what you said about, you know, frustration as a guide, because one of the things that I really enjoy doing is like writing. And I learned how to write when someone said writing is good editing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that really made me mad. So I'm going to like edit that <laughs> and, and write it, like give my take on it. Um, and like, yeah, and get, and get kind of frustrated. And that's true. Like, I think a lot of us, uh, as millennials felt that frustration, like, and, and when, uh, and I, and a little bit about me, like history wise, I, I'm a millennial and I got really frustrated every time somebody would use the word entitled, yeah. you know, like, I was like, I'm not entitled, but yeah. I'm like, I'm literally from Iowa, the poorest County in Iowa. I, I couldn't, I was like, we weren't given anything. Yeah. Like there's nothing to be entitled for because there was nothing there, you know? And so yeah. I was like, I literally worked really hard at, at what I did. And uh, and so, yeah, that that always frustrated me, like the entitled part. And I was just like, dude, that doesn't make any sense, man. It's true. And no one wants to be given a stereotypical label. It <laughs> yeah. just simply means that you're you're mentally lazy because you're not even trying to get to know the other person to either prove that label right or prove it wrong. So I couldn't agree more. And I think um, that also too caused a lot of young people to not want to engage with people who are older. And that was a big frustration I had. I mean, obviously I spent a lot of my time in that company working with people who are of older generations, helping them understand millennials. But now I spend a lot of my time helping our generation understand the older generation, how to thrive at work, how to start their own business, how to get their dream mentor. And for them, many of them have been really burned because they've had people who are of older generations who call them kiddo, act as if they don't know anything about a particular industry or or trend. Only ask us our advice when it comes to social media marketing. I mean, people <laughs> like that really frustrated me as well. So helping oh, yeah. our generation articulate our passion, our purpose, our expertise in a way that actually gets respect from older generations, I think is just as important. Yeah, no kidding. I hadn't even thought about that. In in my experience, like I went into an industry right away that was like very... Is, <clears throat> Like sales is very old school. Like you, if you if you want to mentor in sales, it's, you know, you're just going to find, it was just really hard for me. And so I did, I had to, I intrinsically had to like figure that out on my own, but I'm really glad that you're helping people like, no, this is how, this is how you interact. This is what makes each other, each of us tick. And this, if you want to get further, because in your book, the purpose factor, which we will talk about, um, cause I thought it was great, but in, in your book, you brought up one of my favorite books, which was um, The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Yeah. And uh, and getting a mentor and finding somebody to like help guide you and give you challenges that that not that have a purpose um, is a huge part of like figuring this whole thing out. Yeah. And I think mentorship is one of the most important and powerful conversations that we can have whether you're just starting out in your career or you've been there for 25 years, having a mentor simply means surrounding yourself with people who look and think differently than you. So a mentor isn't just your Yoda, the person who's been around longer, who can tell you take a left or take a right. A mentor can also to be a peer, someone who sees the world differently than you, or a mentor can be someone younger than you, where we call it reverse mentorship, where someone's coming in and telling you, Hey, why don't you try this? Like one of my mentors is 23 years old and he's my coach and he's my consultant and he comes alongside me and helps me do things that I didn't even know that I could do. So if I just looked at him and said, well, you're almost 10 years younger than me. What can you teach me? I would have missed a huge opportunity to grow in my business. It would have cost me probably at this point over (laughs) $150,000, but more importantly, a perspective shift. And that's what I think that that kind of curiosity brings when you just put yourself in situations where you can be challenged, where you can be proven right or proven wrong. And finding a mentor is one of the most important things that you can do. But I will say when you're looking for a mentor, there are a couple of things you need to consider. Like number one, what have they done that you could see yourself doing? Don't find a mentor that doesn't have a template that you want to follow. 
So whether it's the type of career that they've had, the type of family life that they've had, the type of impact that they've had, the type of book that they've written, whatever that looks like, whatever it is that you want, start to cherry pick mentors that are doing or have done exactly what it is that you want to do. Yeah. Number two, be respectful. A lot of times people come in and they even approach me, hey, will you mentor me? And for them, they think that means spending four hours of my Saturday, you know, asking me questions about whether they should break up with him or not. (laughs) That's not mentorship, that's friendship. So be intentional about what it is that you want from your mentor. Uh, Interesting. I'd say number three is don't be afraid to invest. When I was younger, I thought mentorship was free. I thought, well, of course, everyone's going to want to mentor me. Maybe I was that entitled millennial. (laughs) But the truth is, as you get older and maybe more wise, you start to recognize that great advice isn't free and you really do get what you pay for. So if you're going on the internet shouting shouting into the into the ether, hey, I want advice on this, there's going to be plenty of websites that are going to tell you what to do, but that's not customized to you. That's not someone coming alongside you. And that may not actually be grounded in wisdom. So don't be afraid to invest in a mentor, a coach, a program of someone who's doing what it is that you want to do. Yeah, I uh, I think that's great advice, especially on the investing side. Like I've I've taken a lot of like, as a sales guy, um, yeah. you, you know, I just, I mean, there's books, there's courses, there's podcasts, there's, you know, programs like for sure. And it's funny, like when you put it that way, um, somebody who's doing what you want to do, I think that really opens people, people's eyes to like what it really means to like get a mentor. Yeah. And like, um, and most of the people who I consider my mentors don't, don't know that they're my mentors because yeah. I like, you know, because I, I just, I find a lot, you know, of, of different ways of doing things. I like, I like to go across the spectrum um, and then, and then bounce ideas off of the people that are really doing it. And so, and so I really, I really enjoy that. Um, now you wrote the book, the purpose factor. Um, I I've read it. I loved it. And it was, it was like a great book. One of the reasons also that I really started following you on LinkedIn was because I felt like <clears throat> we were kind of the same in the sense of like this contrarian view of the world. So like one of the first things I remember um, when, when the purpose factor was you, when you were promoting that on LinkedIn was like about uh, purpose yeah. or like, or excuse me, not purpose, passion. That always really bugged me when people yeah. were like, follow your passion. I'm like, that doesn't like, it just didn't make any sense to me. I thought it was, no. I thought it was dumb. I was like, this mm-hmm. is, and so when you started talking about like, you know, you said it, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Let, let's dive in a little bit more. But yeah. What, but what what was the first um what was the first what what made you first start to question passion? Yeah. Passion is just the worst advice that I think you can give anybody. Yeah. And I remember going through high school, college, grad school and everyone kept using this p word passion <laughs> and it seemed a little childish. It seemed like you were making me make a decision about my life and my career based off of what I liked to do, which at the time, if I'm 17 or 18 or 19 years old, I like to do dumb stuff. So why are you asking me what it is that I'm passionate about? Like I'm passionate hanging out with my friends. I'm passionate about (laughs) not working. I'm passionate about burritos. I mean, you pick it. If you would have asked me what I'm passionate about, you know, at the time it was you know, tennis and politics. And I I was really very cool at 17, obviously. Um, (laughs) But, and, and I did pursue my passion of politics in my undergrad and even going on to my graduate degree, Uh but trying to find a a career with it was really my intention. And, and I think when we make conversations, especially about careers, whether it's leveling up in your career or starting your own business when we only focus on passion, it's so short-sighted and it's so emotional. Mm-hmm. So you could be passionate about sandwiches or you could be passionate about ending human trafficking. Mm-hmm. You're using the same word for two very different things. And so that's what I think is important is if you're going to use passion, define it first. Understand that passion is really the type of problem that you want to solve. We get really excited when it comes to solving problems for people, coming alongside folks, helping them brainstorm and think through their business idea or rebranding or trying to save money on things. As humans, we're designed to help each other in that way. So when people talk about passion in me, I'm really trying to listen to what they mean by the type of problems that they're solving. 
not their hobbies, not the things that they do on nights and weekends and not the things that they distract themselves from the crappy job that they have. I'm really listening. What types of problems do you like solving? And that's the conversation I want to have. Yeah. Which I really appreciate because whenever I think of passion, like to me, like semantics matter. Right. And so just like what you're talking about, like when you say passion, like, what are you talking about? Because when I heard passion, like in the little circles that I'm in, you know, passionate always meant, or, or at least they, they alluded to the fact that like happiness, which you also write about in your book, right. Yeah. is like, it's a goal. And I'm like, well, no, man, I really love what I do, but yeah. that does not mean I, I'm not, I'm certainly not happy every day that I do it. Like there's, there's crap that I got to deal with. There's fires that I got to put out. Sure. And some days I want to quit. Right. And so when, when I would hear passion in, in my circles that I, that I would be involved in, it would be like around happiness. And I'm like, and that, and which leads yeah. me to the next point, which I really gravitated towards your energy was like happiness really isn't like the goal, right? Yes. It's, it's more of like this. It's more of like, yeah, anyway, but go ahead and explain like, like what you mean by that. I think the whole happiness conversation has really been misguided. And when you talk about happy, it really is so situational. So like we talked about in the book, like you're happy if someone lets you into traffic or we're happy, we're unhappy if someone cuts you off. It's really so dependent upon other people. And so if someone were to ask you, are you happy? You're going to run through, did you get in a fight with your partner? Did your boss acknowledge the work that you did? Do you feel like you're being well compensated? All of those examples are based off of how other people see you. And if Mm -hmm. you make your whole life about being happy because of how someone sees you or treats you, you're basically living in reaction mode and you're never going to truly be happy. And so the focus isn't really on happy, it's on content. Are you content with where you're at? Are you content with the impact that you're having? Are you content with the amount of money that you're making? If you're asking that question, it actually reframes the conversation to be much more forward oriented and much more others focused because happiness is really all about you and purpose is all about other people. Mm. Yeah. I like that you brought up the word content because I learned that uh, from a mentor a long time ago. You know, he really opened my eyes to, to, really tell me that there's a difference between like being content and being complacent. You know what I'm saying? And of the course. goal isn't, you know, that it's not, we're not complacent, but we are content. Like with what you mentioned in the book, the path that you're on, the, the purpose that you have, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing because if you're, yeah, because if you're content and you have your purpose, um, you're really cool with yourself, you know, you're very self-aware and you can keep going through the hard times. And I think that's the point that like, I really enjoyed about the book was like, this isn't to like, you're not going to be happy all the time. You're not going to be, you know what I mean? It's not going to, it's going to feel like sometimes you're not doing what, what you want to do. But if you know you're on the right path, then you can know, then you can know that you just need to keep going. Right. And that there's more coming. Yeah. And being content really does give you context. So if you have this perspective of I'm in a job right now, but I know how long I need to be at this job until I launch my own company, (laughs) that gives you context, what I call bridge income. So the money that you're making now, so that way you can build up your own thing versus Mm -hmm. if you don't know what's next, you feel like, you know, this is my grind and I've got the Sunday scaries and I feel like I'm not, you know, utilized at work and all of those things that people get frustrated about the job that they're in. It's because they don't know what they're working towards. As humans, we crave context. If I were to ask you, hey, can you come over and move this dirt in my backyard? And I live on the 25th floor in the condo, so proverbial <laughs> yeah. backyard. You would probably want to know why. As humans, yeah. we're constantly wanting to know. If I were to say, oh, just because, you know, I'm, you know, wanting to punish you for something, you'd be like, yeah, sorry, no, I'm not interested. But if I said, yeah. hey, we're actually building a pool for a veteran who, you know, is just returning from war and his whole, his house burned down. And I had this whole story. You'd go, absolutely. I'm in Yeah. as humans. We crave context. So if you don't know what you're working towards, you're not going to work very hard at any of it. And so if you know that purpose piece and what you're working towards, it's really important. So yeah. I think sometimes even too, cause I work with a lot of folks who are in their corporate nine to five space longing for independence wanting to be free of a bad boss, a bad paycheck, bad schedule, but they don't know what they want to move towards. And they're bitter 
at where they're at versus being thankful that they have a job, but they're not really focusing on what's next for them. And really that what's next should be not only the discovery of their purpose, but the use of it, which is far more exciting. And so that really comes down to getting very clear about back to how you solve problems, how you solve problems, number one, and how you articulate how you solve problems, number two, because whether you are a bricklayer or a consultant or a doctor, whatever your job is, if you cannot articulate how you solve problems for people, you're not going to get paid well, and you're not going to be excited about what you do because you're not going to be focused on other people. Yeah, other people. And then and and when you, you say that, other people aren't going to be excited because it's very generic, right? Yes. There's no, there's no like what's in it for me. And people like gravitate to to people who are specific and specifically how they can help them in a very, you know, I, I like, I like in the book, you mentioned, like, I got my degree in accounting and I, I have the weirdest background, like accounting and sales. Um, so that is quite the combo, not something that you typically hear either of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so, but it, but it served me very well. And, and so when um, you had the accounting one, I was like, yeah, that's it, man. You know, what, what do we help people do? And, and who is it that we help? Because when people feel like you hear them, uh, you know, it changes the whole conversation, you know, right for the one, you know, right for the one person that you're, that you're going for sell to the one person that you're, you're, you're with. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just incredible how the whole relationship changes with that. So, uh, I have another question. You, you've been on a lot of podcasts, you, you, you go on them frequently, you know, you're, you're promoting the book and everything. What's the biggest message that you're trying to tell people? Like what, what's the, What's the message in, in all the podcasts? If there was one thing that you're trying to get across, what's the most important thing? Yeah, I love that question. I don't think actually anyone has ever asked me that question. So <laughs> hats off to you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, yeah, I mean, really our heart more than anything else is for people to know, number one, that your purpose is discoverable. And number two, that when you find your purpose, you have to use your purpose to find fulfillment. It's yeah. not enough just to know that you are enough. It's not enough to have positive self-talk and to feel right with yourself and to work whenever you want. And, you know, all of those messages that we hear across social media, it's not enough because at the end of that, after the the end of all that self-enlightenment, if you're not using it to help other people, you're going to end up frustrated, bitter, and broken. And so you have to know your purpose, but more importantly, you have to use your purpose. And that's the big message is purpose is practical. You can take and use your purpose and apply it to the company that you want to start or the company that you work at. If you're in between jobs or staying at home with a kiddo, you have a purpose as well. Your purpose isn't dependent upon who's signing your paychecks, but it's how you use your purpose uniquely to solve problems for people. A lot of people don't talk about purpose because they don't know what purpose is, but purpose is simply what you have inside of you to help other people. So once you release yourself into that and step into the fact that you're put here on purpose to be able to use that purpose to help people with a specific problem and create a specific solution, that is where true fulfillment comes from. Not happiness, which is situational, but <laughs> fulfillment, which is long lasting. Yeah. And I like in the book where you mentioned, uh, you know, I think it was Aristotle. Uh, and I remember reading this, you know, in just some of my philosophy studies as well, but when he mentions like happiness, you really define that at the end of your life. Yeah. And then it's like, what do you do during it? Right. Yeah. And, and I love that you bring up service and gratitude because they really change people and it's kind of come back in, in a good way. And it's really sad that it was lost for so long that like these very basic values, service and gratitude actually propel us in life and, and can help us find our purpose and help us live intentionally um, and be mindful of what's going on around us and the people around us. Because, yeah, I think that, you know, one of the best things that I've ever learned, like in sales was like, how do you make a million dollars? Well, you help a million people. Right. And uh, or, or you, you know, you just start helping people. Yeah. And that's always been it for me. It's like you just have to like get outside of your head, get outside of yourself, look around, find find people to help. And then you're on the way. You yeah. Know? But it's so simple. But like. Why is it so hard for people to get this concept? Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I think a big part of it is our society has made it all about us. 
And maybe it's that millennial thing popping back up again too. But if you think about it, so much of our lives is about us. It's what do I like? Where do I want to study? What do I want to do? And so short term, it's created a lot of unhappy people because they have such high expectations for things. So we train a generation to go to college because we say in college, you're going to figure out what you want to do with your life. After four (laughs) years or six years, they graduate with a degree, no more clear or driven than when they started. And then they jump into a job and then people say, well, try a bunch of jobs and see what sticks while you get into the job and you're pretty good at most of them. And you can kind of justify why you should work at, you know, be an accountant or be a lawyer or get into marketing and PR, become a nurse. All of these things sound okay to you and you can see yourself doing it. So then you end up jumping from job to job. And because you had an expectation that that job was going to give you clarity, like a giant button that you push that says like, yes, this is my chosen career. You're now frustrated with that job because that job was supposed to play a specific role in your life. And then you get into a relationship and that person is supposed to complete you and make you happy at hundred percent of the time. And then that certainly doesn't happen because they're human, just like you. And then you move on to the next relationship. And so I think we are built at least in this society to be so centered upon us and what makes us happy that we're looking for short-term success rather than long-term impact. And so when we have these conversations in our companies, on our teams, in our own personal lives around purpose, we start to recognize that what we uniquely have to offer, the skills that we've developed through education and experience, the, the perspective that we have, the role that we tend to play, the things that we do without even really noticing, the types of problems that we like solving, all of these things when combined in the right order, which we talk about in the book, really help give clarity about what it is that you should do next. And quite frankly, that's why we wrote the book is we had so many people, not just millennials, but beyond who are trying to figure out what to do next. And we thought if there's only a guide, if there was only a system to help people understand who they are and what they're supposed to do, that could change the world. Yeah. I love the book mainly because it really breaks down and demystifies this idea of purpose. Like, that was also another thing that really irritated me. Like wh- like one of the things right now that really kind of bugs me on social media is like everybody's throwing the word value around yeah. uh, and we've lost the meaning. Like I understand what they're saying, but it's it's a little frustrating. And, and maybe that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's how I felt like when I heard purpose was like, yeah, I think you're I think I don't think you're trying to like confuse people, but it is because it's like, what do you I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what it means. I don't know how to get it, but your book broke it down really well, demystified it, gave it, gave it a process to like, you know, if you can figure out these things, here you go. Right. Like you're on your way. So what, so what was the, I know you still do stuff with the millennial solution, but what, where was the change? Like you found out that a lot of people were having these conversations like, like purpose. And so that's what made you come up with the purpose company and write the book. Yeah, great question. So it really was an interesting transition. So I started the millennial solution in my early 20s to really solve the problem inside of the workplace, which was we're not hearing each other. We don't understand one another. And people look at the next generation as inconvenient and entitled. As we started working with major brands around the world, we started to recognize the power of purpose at work. Millennials were coming in and they wanted to know that their work mattered and that they mattered. And as we started working with a lot of these major brands, we looked around and we were like, this isn't just a millennial thing. Everybody wants to know that they matter and that the work that they do matters. And so we started to develop this training, these assessments, these workbooks inside of these major companies that we were working with. And as we started developing this program, we started to recognize the power of purpose because as we started to define purpose, people would pull us aside and say, no one's ever talked about purpose that way. And we started to recognize that there was a really powerful theme So we started just for fun, having friends over and we would like have a big dinner and we'd help them find their purpose. It was something that my husband and I just kind of enjoyed doing and one would call it a passion. So I just enjoyed (laughs) having people over like, oh, this is great. Helping people get clarity about what they wanted to do next. Then they started to invite other friends and they started to invite other friends and we did weekend retreats and we started teaching it for our corporate clients. And then our publisher came to us and said, would you please write this book about the process that you guys are developing and, um, and everything kind of changed from there. 
And the book wow. came out uh, almost a year ago, middle of the pandemic, and um, <laughs> just kind of went gangbusters because I think the conversation around who am I and why do I matter um, really happened at a time where people were away from the distraction of duty and had time to actually sit with themselves and ask themselves truly for some in first time in their lives, is this what I want to do? And if not, what does that mean for me and my purpose? Yeah. And I love that because 2020 changed for a lot of people and a lot of people had to really look and think. And, um, one of my favorite, uh, musicians, hip hop artists is Mike Posner. And, uh, he, he quoted someone else and, and I'm going to butcher the quote right now. Cause I'm like talking about it. Um, but it was like, you really start, you, you really start to figure out what goes on when you sit in a room quietly, yeah. you know, like how many, how many, how much, how many things do we make up in our head because we can't sit in a, a room alone quietly. And yeah. when people started sitting alone quietly and they started having to reflect on these things, they, you know, I don't think they started making things up. I think they realized that they were making things up and that like they weren't all the things that they were doing and all the busy work that we were doing, like didn't matter any, like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it just didn't matter. So what matters now? And, and so that's incredible that the book came out during the pandemic. There's a lot of good things that happened during the pandemic, you know? Yeah. Who knew, Um, but it's true. Most people don't know how to think because they don't know what to think about. Sure. And so we're constantly <laughs> reacting to absolutely everything like, okay, yeah. are they going to lay me off or are they not? Am I going to get the raise? Are they going to, you know, call me back? It's all very reactionary. And I think yeah. again, it's because we de- make our happiness dependent on other people that we feel so out of control, but just sitting yeah. and just thinking through something <laughs> like we don't spend time thinking we spend time reacting. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. So in your, in your experience, um, another thing with purpose that's always been on my mind is, so you, you know, you, you, you talked about earlier in the interview, like be, being an expert, um, showing up, you know, being present, these things. Um, how do you help people break through the imposter syndrome that inevitably comes when you find your purpose and you, and now you need to start helping people? Because I feel like that's what happens more often than not. Like, obviously, we have people who have big egos and and they're excited and they just take the bull by the horns and they run. Right. But I feel like more often than not, you get people who meet like I could never do this. Like, even if I did, what would I do? How can I ask somebody for money? You know, something like this. So how do you help people break through like this imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think if you don't have imposter syndrome, something's wrong with you (laughs) clinically, (laughs) you know, like I think you should probably have a little bit of doubt. And I also do think imposter syndrome makes you better constantly because you're questioning, is this good enough? How can I improve? And so people, I mean, you certainly see this people who are at the top of their game. Mm -hmm. They're constantly questioning, is that okay? You see amazing actors who refuse to see themselves on screen. You see speakers who won't watch them their playbacks. And, and I think that that kind of comes hand in hand with being a a high achiever is kind of that perfectionism, high achieverness. Um, And so when you deal with that, the doubt demons will come inevitably, the doubt demons that say you're not good enough, you don't know enough, you're not old enough, you're too old, uh, you're too new, all of those things will come in and try to um, stamp out the fire that you have inside of you. And so that's where purpose is in because when you start to recognize that you can solve problems for people in a unique way that only you can do, you start to give yourself permission more. Mm-hmm. When you start to really focus on the other people that you're going to help, you're less focused on yourself. So if you're in a situation that you're saying, yeah, I know I really want to start this coaching business, or I really want to mm-hmm. get into real estate, or I'd love to get into you know, drop shipping, but I feel like I don't know enough. I feel like people are going to question me really focus not on you and what other people are going to think about you because you can't Mm -hmm. control that focus on the other people and who it is that you're going to help. And you, when you do that thought process, it's a muscle. It's something that you have to to build just like you would your bicep. Every time that trigger of I'm not enough happens, replace that thought with the positive thought of I'm so glad I'm helping this person today and start Mm -hmm. to replace those negative thoughts that will cause you to doubt with positive thoughts of who it is that you're going to help. 
And you'll start to see over time that those doubt demons start to lessen their grip on you. Mm-hmm. Because especially at the beginning, you'll come in and you'll say, well, I don't want to be like that person, right? Because you know that that one jerk who posts online all the time, <laughs> who calls themselves this expert and they're horrible. You're like, well, I don't want to be like that guy. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of times I hear people say that is because if there's a bad actor in their industry, whatever their industry is, um, they don't want to jump into it. But that's kind of like going to a new city and saying all the coffee shops here suck, but I don't want to start a coffee shop because everyone's going to think mine sucks. Oh, you would say, oh my gosh, they're all the coffee shops suck here. I should create a great coffee shop because there's a hole in the market. So yeah. change the way that you view your mind, just because there's other bad actors in this space doesn't mean that just because you enter into it, you're going to have that bad label, prove them wrong, create a better product and serve people more efficiently, more effectively, and with more fun just by simply using your purpose. Yeah. And I think it's great because that's a big one, especially like in a, in a pretty, in a pretty saturated industry. So like I, I, I fought through this while I was actually reading your book and your book helped me out a lot to like go through, I was putting out like a sales ebook and, and kind of helping people in, in sales. And uh, it's a very like super saturated market. Everybody thinks they know everything and there's so many sure. different niches and stuff. And uh, it definitely helped me realize like you just like done is better than perfect. Get out there. You're going to help somebody and uh, and just keep going. And 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 also like to be cool with like having haters, like somebody's not going to like you. And like, are you, are you going to be cool with that? You know, um, and, yeah. and so so it's a, so it's a definitely a big one. Um, but I really, I, like I said, really enjoyed the whole, the whole book. And you mentioned uh, one of the last things I want to talk about, because I feel like my audience um, asked this question a lot. Like we run into this w- when I'm in different circles uh, mm-hmm. talking in my audience, but you mentioned in one of your videos, like jumping from project to project. Yeah. Right? You know what I'm saying? I do. I felt like that all the time. Now I actually have ADHD, so I blame it on my ADHD a lot, but, uh, but you know, you, you find one cool thing like, oh, maybe I want to drop ship and you like go down the rabbit hole on that. And then you're like, ah, maybe not. And then you jump here, you jump here. So what's the deal? Like, is that a problem? How do you fix that? How do you nail down one thing and just go for it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it jumping from thing to thing is one of the biggest pandemics affecting our generation because yeah. we are an inch deep and a mile wide. We don't know how to pay taxes. We don't know how to do our laundry, but we know how to drop ship and how to, you know, set up our routers and, you know, do whatever video game. So because of that, we have such divided attention spans. And so we're not actually great at anything. We're just good at a lot of things. And so short term that's affected our generation because it means that we're not really um, hireable. So people don't really want a generalist on their team. They want someone who's an expert who can come in and solve a specific problem. Mm-hmm. It's also too going to hurt us long-term when it comes to any sort of income generating activity. Experts get paid more. Experts mm-hmm. get to write their own checks, whether they work for a company or they're hired externally as a consultant or as a leader or influencer in the industry. Mm-hmm. So I think that the jumping around from thing to thing has been our generation's fear of failure We've not wanted to fail at something. So we haven't tried long enough to be bad at it Mm -hmm. because we've been told by our parents for such a long time, you're great at this. And we got trophies just for showing up. I get it. I played competitive tennis. I have more (laughs) trophies on games. I probably never played in than anything else, but that's caused our generation to have an expectation of immediate results, immediate recognition and immediate reward. Mm. So when we don't get that immediate satisfaction, we move on to the next thing. And so that means that we don't have grit, we don't have context, and we're not sticking around long enough to find out if we're even good at it. So of course, you start something new, you're going to suck at it. So I think that that's part of it is just realizing you're going to suck at whatever you're new at. Is it worth going through the suck to get great at it? That's the question you need to, you need to ask yourself. And so those questions come everything from... Um, what kind of impact do I want to have? Is this helping yeah. the amount of people that I want to help? If not, then don't go through the suck. Is it going to give you the kind of lifestyle that I want? Then don't go through the suck. <laughs> if, is it going to give you the kind of income that you want? Then don't go through the suck. 
you don't have to keep staying in an industry or a career or a job yeah. path that you don't want to go through the suck. And that's one of the big questions I think people need to ask is, I don't mind doing the grind, but why am I doing it? It's back to that yeah. con- uh, question of context. Yeah. And it just, and it comes back to purpose, right? Because how do you know if you want to stick with something, even if it's, if it's going to suck and, and you might be bad at it at first, yeah. if you know, if it checks off all those boxes and it, and it helps you fill your purpose, like in your book, you know, you talk about uh, people wanting to be teachers or, um, yeah. or leaders. That's the one that stuck out to me because when I read that, I was like, yeah, dude, that's me. Like I, you know, I just today at work, somebody was asking me cause I, I'm in sales and, but I have this, I spent a long time in the accounting industry and somebody was asking me about taxes and I got up to the whiteboard and I just started like writing stuff down. And, stuff. and I was yeah. like, I it? and it was like, and, and you know, one of the guys was like, you should, you know, you should charge people for this. And I was like, I don't really care about that. Cause I'm not really like, that's not my purpose, but I knew that, but like teaching was, you know? And so yeah. it's just very interesting to go through that whole process and to kind of see it while I was reading your book. It was very cool. Yep. Well, yeah. And we talk about that as one of the natural advantages of someone being a teacher, which teachers are some of my favorite people to hang out with, but they're also too really annoying because like, I mean, like one of my best friends is a teacher. And so like, we'll be having dinner and he's like, well, Hey, this is actually how you should set the dinner dinner table. I'm like, I I don't care. Like, I don't care. So yeah, teachers are, I love them and I hate them because you're constantly (laughs) translating information and teaching other people with it. So it's a superpower, but it's, it's pretty funny. And that's one of the things I like about our book is it like gives frameworks and titles to things that you see in yourself. Whereas before it, 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 you may feel that way. You're like, yeah, why do I like to do this? And so we give language to a feeling. Yeah. And, and, uh, and like I said, I, I loved it. I absolutely love the book and I really appreciate you coming on and talking, uh, through My pleasure. Your book and, and everything. So, uh, before we leave though, I like to do this with everybody. Just give yourself the plug. Tell us where we can find you, how we can buy your book. Um, I'll have all that in the links below, but if people want to follow you and get involved, how do they do that? Yeah, that would be great. So we actually have a free community where we teach a lot of the concepts in the book. So it's called oh, seven figure the number seven figurepurpose.com where we offer free training. We go deeper on content. We answer questions. So it's a great way to stay in touch with us, a great way to go deeper and a great way to get to know us a bit more. So seven figurepurpose.com. And the book is called the purpose factor. You can buy that wherever, right? You can buy that wherever. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and we're, we're really thankful. I mean, the book really blew up. It's been endorsed by folks like Dwayne, the rock Johnson and Simone yeah, Biles and Lewis Howes and, and we are really, really honored, like the Chicken Soup Soul guy endorsed it. So <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. we've been really honored that so many kind of titans across industries have all kind of come together and said, yes, purpose is important and yeah. we need to talk about it now more than ever. Yeah. It's, yeah. And uh, like I said, I love the book um, and I and I hope it, and I hope it keeps going up like truly. And that's why I was really grateful that that you accepted the invitation to be on the podcast. So. Uh, Thank you so much. And uh, I'll make sure that that this gets out. And I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on, my friend.